All statements and opinions expressed by guests of the Adult in the Room podcast are strictly their own and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or opinions of the host, producers, or advertisers. All interviews are presented in their most complete possible form in the interests of free speech. No statements should be interpreted as financial, legal, or medical advice. Listener and viewer discretion are strongly advised. It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. Welcome to the Adult in the Room podcast with me, Victoria Taft. Interesting guest today. Uh, Mike McCormick is a fascinating man who had, it turns out, a fascinating job. Now, we often use the, the term transcriptionist derisively by calling the news media the transcriptionists for their party or favored politicians, meaning reporters slavishly take down every word uttered by their or overlords, their thought leaders, and then they present the words as received wisdom to everyone else, to the masses. But Mike McCormick was an actual transcriptionist. <laughs> he was Joe Biden's transcriptionist. And he has used his records and knowledge of Joe Biden through intimate contact with his words, schedule, speeches, etc. And he's begun writing about the president on his substack. And he's used his intimate knowledge of the items on Hunter Biden's emails and the other information on Hunter Biden's laptop. And he started to compare and contrast and develop a meaningful timeline of Joe Biden's schedule with some of the more interesting things on Hunter Biden's laptop. Mike McCormick, welcome to the Adult in the Room podcast. And tell us about your Substack and what you're doing over there. Well, thanks, Victoria. And that was a really good introduction. Wow. Yes, transcription. That's what I did. And I started there in the White House. I was a technically a White House stenographer. I started there in 2002, and I lasted till 2018. Um, I actually got canceled out of the job by some hardcore Obama-loving people who didn't like that I liked Trump, and it was in the Trump White House. So it was behind the scenes. There was a lot of behind the scenes tension in D.C. at the time. So that was the end of it. But what I did is I started writing books, and the... In about three years ago, just about three years ago, right before the shutdowns hit, I uh, wrote my first, the second book, but it was about Joe Biden specifically. Joe Biden authorized in 2020 crack of the Democratic Party. I self-published it. The shutdowns hit. No one talked about anything for six months or so. And finally, just before the election, people started asking questions. Well, who is this Joe Biden? And I, people started asking me about my book. After that election and realizing what had really happened and how ugly the whole process was, I started writing this Substack. And a year and a half ago in November, or actually in September uh, 2021, um, Garrett Ziegler of Marco Polo gave me the Hunter Biden laptop. He said, look, you know a lot about what happened with Joe Biden. I'm just going to give you a copy of it and go to, go to town with it. So I started Substack. And what I found lately is pretty significant. And to get back to your, you know, what does this transcription do in the White House? Basically, 
we were in between the press and a, a senior administration officials, president, vice president, whenever they talked to the press. We weren't in the room for like important meetings about national security or, or anything like that. Only if the press was present were we present. But that meant that we traveled with them when the press traveled with them. So I traveled in Air Force Two with Joe Biden, China, Russia, Ukraine. I traveled in Air Force One with uh, Barack Obama also traveled in Air Force One with, uh, I went to Mar-a-Lago with President Trump once, one trip, and uh, I traveled a lot on Air Force One and Air Force Two in the Bush years. So I've been around, I know the press, I know the, the system, I've seen how badly degraded it's gotten in Washington, it's obscene what they've turned journalism into. And so I started writing the Substack to fill in that gap. What you hear from the press is absolutely the wrong thing than what I heard standing there in the room with them. Let me ask you one thing. You are are you the person who does the readouts with about phone calls that the president has with leaders like for example Ukraine and uh President Trump's discussion with Vladimir Zelensky for example? No, the readouts would be done by staffers, there'd be uh, national security staffers on the call, and also, uh, you know, some of his communications team would do it. So they would actually produce uh, either a paper version of the readout, or sometimes they do a background briefing of the readout, um, like a phone call background briefing. But I wasn't, you know, we would do act. So if it was a background briefing, we would listen to that in our office, get a recording of it, and produce a transcript of it. But we didn't do the readouts. We didn't listen to. I never heard Joe Biden talking to President Zelensky or President Poroshenko or any of those people. Mm -hmm. Your Substack, Midnight in the Laptop of Good and Evil, play on the book of the same name, movie of the same or similar name. Uh, why did you choose that name? Well, you know, I was looking at the laptop when I first got it. First of all, there's it's evil. I keep it locked up. I keep it locked up like it's a loaded gun. I have young kids in the house. I don't want anybody going near that thing. It has got absolute evil just right there on the desktop. What the salty porn that Hunter Biden was doing is disgusting. And I stay away from all that. I stick to the emails. And I've also, with uh, the Marco Polo group, have had access to his calendar. So I've been using that lately too. So that's the evil. But the thing is, these people think they're doing good. You know, that's where we're stuck. There are, there's millions of Americans that can't think of Donald Trump as anything but evil and can't think of themselves any, as anything but good. And what's in the laptop is the real evil. And they think they're good. And we just have to prove it to them. Hey, look, you're, this is evil what's been done. This is criminal activity that Joe Biden's done. And you have to treat it as such. You can't just excuse it anymore. You have uncovered, as I mentioned before, you know, sort of the calendar versus the transcriptions. The What have you found out about the dealings that Joe Biden and his family had with Ukraine, for example? Um. Joe Biden went to Ukraine right as almost as soon as he was in the vice president's office in uh, the summer of 2009. He took a trip there and he started um, trying to sort of brag and boast about his role 
and just really kind of poked the bear. He kind of uh, um, poked at uh, Vladimir Putin. He said some things that um, inflamed Vladimir Putin. So then I was on a trip in 2011 with uh, Biden into Moscow, and he did this meeting with Vladimir Putin. I wrote I wrote, wrote about it in my book, um, Joe Biden Unauthorized. Vladimir Putin humiliated him in public. And so that, to me, is the beginning of what Joe Biden is trying to do in Ukraine now. Along the way, in 2014, there was this shift where American foreign policy started promoting uh, kind of this, rep- they they got upset with the way Ukraine was moving away from NATO and towards Putin, and they pushed through this Maidan revolution. Joe Biden was behind the scenes on that. The CIA was involved in it. The U.S. Embassy in Kiev was involved in it. And a woman named Victoria Nuland was very prominently involved, and we hear about her a lot in the news now. So that was early 2014. It was like 2000, December 2013, January 2014. Well, Hunter Biden got $3.5 million from a key Vladimir Putin ally on February 14th, 2014. So in the, during this whole process, the Bidens were being corrupted by Putin. The Maidan revolution happens. They kick the guy out of Ukraine. And Joe Biden moved into that gap and started taking over. He started doing personal corruption into Ukraine with Hunter and an old uh, friend of his who was the former president of Poland, a guy named Alexander Kwasniewski. When Kwasniewski was the president of Poland, he and Biden worked actively together when Biden was the uh, Senate Foreign Relations chairman to get Poland into NATO. So they were close allies. Well, all of a sudden, Kwasniewski is on the board of Burisma. And Joe Biden has to rush into Ukraine with aid. And who does he bring aid for? Burisma. And who winds up on the board of Burisma? Hunter. And it's all connected. And you you talk about the calendar, for example, on one of your more recent posts on your Substack, You talk about how days and days before... Uh, Joe Biden met with uh, his son, both of his sons, went to Maisie's basketball game and did all kinds of things, of, you know, just typical things, met with the president and that sort of thing. And yet three days after uh, Hunter Biden was named to the Burisma board, he he it was a three days before, three days after he goes to Ukraine to sort of lock down some a few things for the United States and or himself. Tell us about that, if you would. Yes, exactly. So the timeline actually starts with a trip uh, in late March, early April that Hunter Biden took to Lake Cuomo, Italy, Lake Como, C-O-M-O. He meets with Burisma guys there and he comes back and has a meeting in the Naval Observatory with his dad and his dad's team on April 8th, 2014 in the morning. There's emails about, I've got to be in this meeting. It's going to go long. It's on his schedule. There's also uh, on April 12, 2014, so that meeting is on a Wednesday. Um, on April 12th, the, the night before April 12th is a Saturday. On the Friday night, late in the e- early in the evening, he gets an email from his daughter's basketball team saying, hey, we're having our tournament. Here's our tournament schedule that's going to meet tomorrow in Wilmington. The tournament place that they're playing is six miles from Joe Biden's house. He loves his granddaughter. 
There is no way his granddaughter is playing basketball in Wilmington and Joe Biden is not there. So I started asking around. Well, I asked the basketball team, was was he there? I never heard back. You know, was Joe Biden there? Was Hunter there? Was Maisie there? I never heard back from the team. And I asked over a matter of months. Then I asked the Secret Service, hey, do you have records? No comment. We don't comment on our protectees like that. Well, this was six years ago. Yeah, right? This is like seven years ago. But what happened was the morning of the Sunday, April 13th, there are records that the Secret Service has provided Senate investigators that they took Hunter Biden and his brother, Bo, to Baltimore, Washington Airport for a trip to uh, Houston for a cancer checkup for Bo. Well, where did they pick him up from? So there's this vast, there's this mystery that, uh, you know, the Secret Service could solve. They don't want to. What happened on the night of Saturday April 12th, 2014, is Hunter Biden writes out basically a strategy email that had to, that went to his friend Devin Archer. Well, was he writing that in Joe's house when he was staying there? Is that where they stayed when they went to Wilmington? Did he talk to Joe during the basketball game that day and get all this information? There's some speculation that some of what's in that email looks like it came from other documents, maybe the classified documents that have since been found in Joe's garage at that residence. Possibly, but also Hunter Biden had access to people he could just crib notes from because I've heard you say this and Miranda Devine has said this about this particular uh, note. And that is that uh, his letter. This is like unlike anything else on Hunter Biden's laptop. It's not even his voice. It's not his writing. Uh, most things are uh, written by a person who is not, I mean, it doesn't sound very educated, is my understanding. And But this one sounds like somebody just, you know, ra- rattled off all these points like nobody's business. And they certainly know what they're talking about with respect to Ukraine, right? Um, so what was your thought about that? Well, exactly. And, you know, this, this, um, this email that he sends to Hunter, Hunter Devin Archer has 22 points. Probably the first 18 or 16 or so are basically looks like it was written by a foreign policy wonk, not Hunter Biden. He, I, I did a search. He uses the word imprudent in that email sent from his laptop to his friend. He uses the word imprudent. That's the only time that word imprudent shows up in his laptop the entire time from Hunter. There's other versions of it from like foreign policy people or magazines that are sort of notated in his laptop. But there's only eight times that the word imprudent pops up in his laptop. And that's the only time it comes from him. I searched in the word imprudent in the Obama White House.gov archive. So that's all the transcripts that we did in the Obama years. It's like eight times. And it was never used by Obama or Biden. It was used by like policy wonk kind of people or reporters. Uh-huh. So it's not a word that anyone would use. Why is it in that email? It's foreign it's to It's a him. perfectly good word. It's just not one that they would regularly they use. They would just say dumb. That's what I would say, right? Uh-huh. uh-huh. And so that's part of it. <laughs> there was a, a key Biden operative named Ted Kaufman was in Ukraine at that point in time. He was looking into election interference 
and trying to help with the, you know, to legalize the election for the Ukrainians. And so he used uh, abbreviations that turn up in this email. He calls the Russians, capital R, small u. He calls the Ukraines, U, capital U, small k. And that turns up in this email. So he could have sent something to Hunter. And he does, they do have a, a an email interaction the very next day, the Sunday, the, the 13th. They have sort of back and forth. Um, but he, because he did like a video presentation and, you know, Hunter said, hey, can you tell me what's going on in Ukraine with the election? And he said, so he gave his own sort of um, version of that, this guy, Ted Ted Kaufman. So, and uh, that would have been part of this discussion they had at the Naval Observatory. This guy was a key operative. He's in Ukraine. You know, that's what they're talking about. And then they have this sort of meeting over the weekend. And, and we're just trying to nail down the, the uh, details. So I've actually put a, and so then you want to go to this a week later, April 21st is when Biden goes to Ukraine. He makes a speech. So that that's April 12th is a Saturday. The following Monday is Easter Monday. I'm sorry. Uh, 10 days later, the following Monday is Easter Monday. Biden goes to Ukraine. I'm on the plane with him. Well, a lot of the business that, that they were talking about that uh, Bracement did was fracking. They were a fracking company. They had huge fracking operations in what is now being fought over by the Russians, the Donbass. And it was one of the few fracking areas that Europeans could tap into because the rest of Europe said, we're not doing any fracking. It's bad for the environment. And Ukraine was like, yeah, we'll do fracking. And Burisma were the guys. So and, and the, Joe Biden was championing this. And he knew this. For he knew this because his son was on the board. He knew this because his best mm -hmm. friend Kwasniewski was on the board. He'd been hearing about this for months. He gets on the plane. We're flying into Ukraine with a, you know, a relief package with uh, support for financial support for their fight against Russia. Well, the support includes energy uh, support, energy funding. So his uh, spokesman at the time was Jake Sullivan. Jake Sullivan comes walking to the back of the plane. I'm standing right next to him. And speaking as a senior administration official, he gives this briefing to the press. My job is to sit there and record it. Well, in the briefing, one of the press asks, so what's this energy package? And he goes, oh, we're going to be giving them a lot of help with their non-traditional gas reserves. They have a lot of, that's fracking. He's trying to be clever and get around saying fracking, but that's what he was talking about. And that's Burisma. As they're flying in, no one on that plane knows that Hunter Biden was then on the board of Burisma. He was named to the board of Burisma. He signed the papers the 18th of April. The flight that we're taking into Ukraine is the 21st of April. Joe knew, Hunter knew. They had meetings right up until the very last minute to get Hunter into this board position. He, he had a meeting... Uh, there was a, a documented meeting with photographs of Joe and Devin Archer in the West Wing on the 16th. Well, Hunter was there. That's what is on his schedule, of his daily schedule for that day. And there was emails saying, hey, I want to go with you guys. I'll meet you at the front gate and we'll go into the West Wing. That's what he says in his emails. So he was there. And we're trying to get from the Secret Service, where was Hunter? And so I've gone to the FBI and said, hey, look, the Secret Service hasn't really got back to me. I'm a witness because 
in the transcript I prepared of this briefing that Jake Sullivan gave, he's a senior administration, senior administration official. Well, I said, I'm a witness. It was Jake Sullivan. He had just talked to Joe Biden. He's speaking for Joe Biden on Joe Biden's plane. Joe Biden is control. He's in control of the plane. This is Joe Biden's message. Jake Sullivan is committing malfeasance in office. He's a conspiracy. He's in the conspiracy with Joe Biden. They're going over to enrich their family members, themselves and their family members, with American energy assistance. This is corruption. You have to investigate it. That was 10 more. It was two weeks ago. I haven't heard back. Now, explain to people how ironic this is, because in the first few days of Joe's first day of Joe's term of office as the president, he ended American fracking, essentially. Right. Yeah. And the thing was, that hurt. The, he, they, their, the Democratic Party was anti-American fracking. And Joe Biden was a big part of that. That's, you know, their green messaging and all that stuff. But now they're panicking because they need the fracking. They need the natural gas to be in liquefied natural gas form to go over to Ukraine because they bombed the pipeline from Russia. So now Europe doesn't have any natural gas. And the only place to get it now is fracking. It's bizarre that, that you know, I talk about this meeting where in Moscow, where Biden got humiliated by Putin. It's almost like a personal uh, animosity between these two guys is leading to this global situation of all this, ink, this terrible war and destruction and death in Ukraine, but also this horrific economic uncertainty in you in Europe. It's Oh, he's ruining our economy, too. But yeah. you know, go back, if you would, and explain to me why. Is there any other way to read this slight from Putin um, and how it may have transmogrified into a war? Uh, Joe Biden coming to Ukraine's aid in such a uh, huge way, billions and billions and billions of dollars for Ukraine, ultimately fighting a proxy war, uh, United States fighting a proxy war in Ukraine. Do you really think it was part of it was just a slight from Putin? You really do, don't you? I there's a lot more to it. So the part of Ukraine that Putin is about to take over is where Burisma was. And, you know, when they a year ago, I think they they evacuated the U.S. embassy out of Kiev. It doesn't seem like Kiev is taking a terrible amount of destruction or threat, but they got rid of a lot of evidence. And if. And Burisma is no longer an active concern in eastern Ukraine. It was during uh, when Hunter was on the board. They had this sort of uh, arrangement with the local militias to be able to do their fracking operations there without interruption. So that Where? Was, are we talking Donbass or are we yeah, talking in You're talking Kiev. in the Donbass. Okay. And, okay. And okay. Crimea. They had some in Crimea. And, you know, so is it. Is it a personal vendetta almost? It's almost like that. Um, you know, Biden goes back years and years on uh, anti-Russian stuff. He goes back before Putin. So he just thinks he's the know-it-all guy. And that's what kind of Putin played when he uh, humiliated him. He said, you've been around a long time. And then he humiliated him when he couldn't stop talking about how long he'd been around. Well, Robert Gates said that, uh, of course, Joe Biden never made a decent decision on foreign policy in 40 years. He, he'd known him. So, of course, now Joe Biden's been around for 50 years and still making bad calls. But um, what did 
Putin do to him? I mean, how bad was the slight? It wasn't, you know, well, this is the part of it that's strange. At the time, Joe Biden and Barack Obama were bragging about this great reset. And, you know, they allowed Vladimir Putin, you know, the big thing that he wanted, he wanted Russia to be able to be part of the World Trade Organization. And they had to change a law back here in America. um, And they did that. It was the Vanek, something Vanek law. Um, It's an old uh, Cold War law. And anyway, so they got all that done. He, they, they were bragging about it in 2012. We've got this great relationship with Russia, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. All the whole reset, Hillary's great. big button. Mitt that Romney was... doesn't know what he's talking about. We're great. And then, you know, yeah. boom, in 2014, they went into NATO, you know, they pushed NATO through into Ukraine. And so, you know, Putin was like, hey, I'm done with these guys. And so they started this little proxy war. So- Here's one thing that I, one of the substacks I wrote, we were on the plane going into, I, I went to Ukraine with Joe three times. The first time was this April trip where Sullivan came back. The second time was later that year in November, we went into Ukraine. And uh, I remember being on the plane and they made this rule. If Joe Biden comes back and talks to anybody in the press, it's off the record. So that was good for me. I didn't have to record anything. I didn't have to be worried about him saying something. It was all off the record. So he came back and had a chit chat with some of the press there. One of the press asked him, he goes, so do you think Putin will ever give back Crimea? And Biden goes, this is off the record, right? And he goes, yep. He goes, nope. And then he left. He like walked off. And you always know Joe Biden is telling the truth when he says a one word answer and leaps. And that's what he did. So he knew then that Crimea was never going back to Ukraine. He knows it now. They were pushing this Minsk agreement the whole time. It was all BS based on what I heard on that plate. It's not documented. I didn't record it. It's between him and a, and a reporter who won't give away that conversation because that would be violating, you know, a source really. So, you know, you have my word for it, but that's what I heard. And that's what happened. And, you know, you can look at how this thing winds up in Ukraine. My guess is Putin's going to wind up with Crimea and Donbass, and the Ukrainians are going to be left out of that. And they'll have sacrificed and suffered inexcusably because Joe Biden couldn't do that right right off, you know, a year ago. He could have done it a year ago, and he didn't. Can we go back for just a minute? on the letter that Hunter Biden got a hold of with the talking points for Burisma to take with him to, I presume, Lake Como to the big board, uh, the big meeting, the confab. So he'd sound like or he was going to meet with some um, money people to perhaps invest. I can't recall what the circumstances were, but he's got this letter. It sounds like Someone else has written it. No, this Someone is different. Someone who's inside. You're, um, okay. Lake Como was a week before that. He got information from Burisma in Lake Como that he put into that 22-point letter the week later. That was the okay, mid- so me... night of the basketball tournament, I believe. Oh, so, so let me ask you this. Was he cleared for that additional information provided by the... Biden aide or the person who was their point person in Ukraine? It was he cleared that, I mean, security, national security wise? Uh, 
Kaufman at the time was an ex-senator. I don't think he he would have had a security clearance as a senator. I don't know if what he was passing on to Hunter was was classified. Joe might have had classified documents that he gave to Hunter. And that may be what they found in the garage at his house a couple of weeks ago. And that may, you know, that may play into, well, we have this strange document that looks like what Hunter was talking about, but where was Hunter? Well, you know, now we think Hunter was there and the Secret Service won't confirm it. Self-dealing, making deals to benefit the family and not the United States of America. That's essentially what you're saying is your allegation, your claim against the Biden family throughout these years that you've paid attention and written down literally every word of Joe Biden, uh, his his utterances, and that contrasted with the Hunter Biden laptop. And have you and you haven't heard anything at all from back from them? Any pushback from them, me? from the FBI, from anyone? No, I uh, I haven't heard back from the FBI. Um, all the all the writing that I do about, you know, Joe said this, Joe did this. No one's contradicted me. Um, you know, I put this book out. It was self-published. I think they kind of want to think it didn't happen or they don't want people to know about it. And so that's their best way. They, they won't sue me for, you know, false statements because I haven't made any false statements. And if they do, then there's a big discovery process. So tell me about this situation with Devin Archer and the meeting in the in the White House, the Oval Office with um, the officials there, uh, presumably Biden and as well as in, in Obama's office, correct? That was the time at which that happened. Yeah, that that actually kind of pulls Obama into it. So um, this is April 18th. That's, I'm sorry. This is April 16th, 2014. So remember, April 12th is the basketball. April 13th is the Sunday morning pickup trip to uh, Baltimore. April 16th is a Wednesday. And then the 21st is a Monday. I think I have those dates right. And um, so... Early morning, I, I wrote this in my book. I came across this by mistake. <clears throat> Pardon me. David Axrod pops up at Joe Biden's Naval Observatory for breakfast. There's a indication in the White House visitor logs on April 16th at like 7.30, which is really unusual for Axelrod. And that's unusual because those guys didn't like Axelrod. He didn't like them. Behind the scenes, he... You know, in public, he sort of said, oh, yeah, he's a great guy, blah, blah, blah. But behind the scenes, there was a lot of tension. He didn't like Biden. And Biden and, and Hunter didn't like him. Probably because Biden wasn't a really a true believer. Correct. I mean, Axelrod was a true believer. And he so was, was a Obama. true believer in Obama. And Biden was always running side deals. You know, Biden embarrassed Obama with the um, gay marriage thing that he pop, popped out of his mouth in front of a Hollywood funding group. So they really didn't like that. And that was Axelrod who was really mad. And Biden would talk about that. He'd say, yeah, they all got mad at me in the West Wing, but Obama was fine with it. Well, they is... Obama wasn't fine with it. He stole his thunder. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, Obama <laughs> was just sort of... He was the kind of guy that would shrug it off. Like Axelrod, the operative types would get pissed off. But Obama's like, you know, it's all right. Um, it's just Joe being Joe. Exactly. How right? many times have we heard that? Right. Oh, it's just Joe. Obama said at one point in time, and tell me how this comports with what you know of uh, Joe Biden through writing every single thing down, 
that never, uh, see, never underestimate Joe Biden's ability to F things up, uh, except he said the word. Um, Joe Biden's just. <sighs> That's, I mean, the behind the scene, there's this sort of version. There's the public version. There's the bromance. They love each other. That's not really how it was. You know, they were very suspicious of Joe Biden's intentions throughout his time there. He did a lot of work for Obama. In, I mean, I worked in the Bush years with Cheney and very different vice presidencies. Cheney wasn't publicly out there. One of the interesting uh, contradictions between the two is the contrast between the two. Cheney walked out there and said, I will never be president. I'm not running for president. He just wanted to be a great vice president. Biden was running for president the second they said, you're the vice president nominee. He was running for president all through that. He had the highest ambition to be president. And when his son got sick, that all changed. And the guy that talked him out of it was David Axelrod in October 2015. Axelrod had a long meeting with him, and that's in the laptop. They were uh, There's emails between Hunter and people about, we Axelrod's, you know, did this and bad language. So Axelrod has this meeting at, uh, right before they go to Ukraine in the morning. Later, Hunter and Devin Archer meet with Joe in West Wing. At the end of the evening, Obama has a long uh, limousine ride with Joe Biden in Western Pennsylvania. They did this event together. Both planes fly into the uh, airport together, and then they ride in the limousine together. There's a selfie that Joe Biden shared with the world. I'm with Obama in the back limousine. It was probably the only time they ever were together in a limousine like that. Usually, they go in separate limousines. So why on that day? What was so important to Obama that he had to wrap that day up with Joe Biden in a long private conversation? I don't think there's any more secure conference site in the world than the back seat of the presidential limousine. Nothing, Beast. anything that gets said there stays there. There's no other it's listening. It's a vault. Right. So, and Obama, of course, is the one who tasked Biden with the Ukraine portfolio I don't know if he asked for it, if Biden asked for it, but Obama consented to giving Joe Biden the oversight of Ukraine. And what do you know of that? Well, you know, it was funny because I put that in my book and they asked um, Jake Sullivan that on the plane. They're like, hey, whose idea was this? And Jake, Jake Sullivan answers, he goes, well, it was kind of a joint idea. You know, it kind of came out between the two of them. But I think it was, I, I don't know how involved in the um, color, the, I guess they call it the color revolution that the CIA was pushing through into Ukraine at the time, this Maidan thing, how involved in that Obama and Biden were. My impression was always that, Obama, that Biden just sort of inserted himself into the process and then capitalize on it with all this money making with the, with Burisma. But there might have been a lot more of a um, sort of a policy side of it that Obama wanted to have done. And he had Joe as his pick. Um, Kerry was going back and forth then. And then all of a sudden it became Joe Biden. And I think, you know, this is Joe Biden's ambition. And he wanted to step in front of Hillary Clinton's opportunity to be president. So he was pretty aggressive then putting himself in front of the camera. That's why this background briefing on Air Force Two by Jake Sullivan was actually still visible on the uh, ObamaWhiteHouse.gov because everything that Joe Biden said back then 
he wanted publicized, he wanted put on the, the website. Usually background briefings don't make it there. They sort of get they're there for the people there. The reporters make their notes out of it. And then that's where it stops. But um, Joe Biden wanted all this sort of attention and he wanted this press, this press presence around around him. Was Joe Biden the hardest person you've ever had to transcribe? Oh, yeah. What a mess. There would be a... Because he... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I want to hear you what you have to say, but I just hopped in just to, just to comment now that I've already hopped in. I might as well just say it. I mean, does he ever finish a sentence? <laughs> that's exactly... That's exactly right. There would be times when he would go on a sense, there would literally go three three pages because he would just get another idea and keep adding to what? it. What? Oh, yeah. And I, like one sentence, like I would, be, I would be, I got to the point where I stopped trying to put periods into sentences. I just said, <laughs> I want to see how long this goes. Literally three pages. It was like a, a 10 minute sentence because he would just keep adding to it. And adding, and then on top of it, he'd be in the middle of one sentence, and then get add on to it. Oh, then Joe did this, and then Bo was there, and then my dad says this, and you know it just goes and goes and goes. And so it was bizarre that that's not the Joe Biden we see now, right? He used to talk off the cuff. He used to talk without notes. He made a big deal of. He'd walk out with a speech. I got these notes from my speechwriters, and I'm throwing them away. And then he'd just go off the cuff for forty five minutes, and. You know, Obama would basically read his speeches, which for transcriptionists is fantastic. They would give us the speeches ahead of time. We would get the speech, put it in the transcription form, go back over it and be done with it in like half an hour because all he did was change two or three words. Whereas Joe Biden was redo every speech verbatim what he says. And some of the stuff he says over and over was just, you know, I know all about his his aunt Gert, who made great rice pudding, all this stuff, right? I mean, year over and over. I can't listen to his speeches now because I've heard them all. He keeps repeating himself. If you've heard a speech now, you've heard it, you know, 10 years ago. It was probably basically the same speech. The tells that he gives when he's not telling the truth, do you, what are they? Well, I always notice that he has developed a technique for um, if he's in a situation and he makes a really big, significant story out of it, but there's only two people in the room, him and somebody else, usually somebody else is either dead or untrustworthy. Like he has a story about him and Putin in the room together. Nobody else was there. And I looked into Putin's eyes and told him he had no soul. Well, Putin doesn't remember it officially. And who in America would believe Putin over Biden. So all the American press say, oh, that's great. You did that. Wow, you're so cool. So that's the kind of thing he does. He does that a lot with his um, old Senate pals who are segregationists. You know, he would be in the room with these guys and they'd say something amazing about how, you know, civil rights changed my soul. Well, he was the only, there was only two people in the conversation and the guy who said is now dead. So did it really happen? Do we really believe that? One of the big tells that really got me was when Jill Biden's ex-husband wrote a book saying, hey, we worked on Joe Biden's campaign in uh, 1972. We knew him. And I was like, well, that's not what Joe Biden said. Joe Biden always had this sort of story about how he saw these poachers at an airport and in this beautiful woman. And he had a date with her and she turned him down five times. 
you know, we proposed to her five times before she said yes, but that's directly opposite from what her ex-husband said. Very significant. When he says he's not joking, is that another way of saying, I'm just making this up? Right. Not a joke. <laughs> yeah, not a joke. Not a joke. Yeah. Um, what did you think of his personality back in his heyday and versus now? And by that, I mean, um, I, I mean, I, I take it that he's he just thinks he's the best thing ever. Um, but what else can you tell us? That's a really good question. So I'm going to tell you a couple of things. One, um, he has a connection with people that's undeniable. And he used to really have that. And I had a I have a friend who was a White House photographer. And sadly, um, towards the end of the Biden years, his son died in a car accident. And I ran into this friend outside of the White House years later. And we were talking. He said, what do you do? And I said, I just wrote a book about Joe. He goes, look, I got to tell you Joe Biden's story. He goes, my son died. He goes, I was really feeling bad. The phone rings at midnight and I answer it. He goes, hey, it's Joe. And my friend is like, Joe who? He goes, Joe Biden. And he talked to him for half an hour mm. about his son. It really meant a lot to my friend. That's very nice. That he did that. That's a Joe yeah. Biden that people in Washington know. That's the story that filters through the Senate, that filters through the Congress. You know, he really has that sort of empathy for people around loss. So that's Joe Biden. But there's this evil that's in the laptop. And that evil is very dark that I see now. And it's gone into the White House. And it's inexcusable. I don't care how nice he was to anybody about anything. That's inexcusable what he's done to our country. I put I put his crime in front of the FBI as I'm a witness to a crime that he committed. They should be investigating it. They're not. There should be uh, grand jury investigations into what he's done. He was part of the development of COVID. I I put stuff forward in my substack about that. Um, and that's that may well, be a whole but, other but, topic you want to talk about another yeah, time. Yeah, we'll do that another time. But I, but by just funding the gain of function research that Fauci wanted through the other entity. I mean, the big connection there is in 20, so 2014, he's going in and out of Ukraine. In the summer, Ebola hits. And in August, there's a meeting in Joe Biden's uh, vice president's residence with Klain, Kaufman, and a guy named Mike Donilon. Klain, about two weeks later, is named, the, uh, about a month and a half later, is named the Ebola czar. Out of that Ebola czar process, Obama agreed to do uh, gain-of-function research in China, and that's what led to COVID. Uh, Ron Klain was Joe Biden's campaign manager in 2019, 2020. And his chief of staff. And his chief of staff afterward. They knew what was coming. And so that's something for another topic. There's a lot of material yeah. there. And there's that the issue, whether it's true or not, of the high level labs in Ukraine. Yeah, I don't know much about that. I mean, I will say this. Um in 2013, I was on the trip that Joe Biden took to China. He went to Beijing. He had a long personal uh, meeting with uh, Xi Jinping, the, then the president of China. Very unusual for American vice president to have almost four hours alone with him. Two hours, it was just one-on-one. -on -one. 
And basically, Joe Biden said they kicked all the other people out of the room except him and the interpreters. And she, what did they talk about? We don't know. But at the time, they were doing research into bat viruses. There was a company called Metabiota that was doing it. There was a whole U.S. process doing it then in China that was funded by um, the uh, Defense Threat Reduction Agency, DTRA. Uh, EcoHealth Alliance was part of it. As soon as they come back from this trip, Hunter Biden and his technology companies, par partners, they start investing in his company, Metabiota. Metabiota is the one that goes into Ukraine. That's part of what Joe Biden was doing. Remember, I was telling you about this April 16th meeting they had in the White House with Devin Archer and Hunter Biden. The next day, they have a conference call with funders for Metabiota. So they were talking with Joe about going to, going to Ukraine and talking about Burisma. They were also talking about Metabiota. And that's the night that Joe spent in that limousine with, with uh, Obama. The April 16th. Now, you know, I know the Obama administration had the, put the kibosh on gain-of-function research, but obviously in 2014, that went away. Whether so the, the kibosh came out outlawed. on the same day they named uh, Ron Klain the Ebola czar. It was the exact same day. And they, they kind of, they just paused it. They said, okay, pause. Uh... Right? Same day. And in 2017, so... Right as Trump comes in, they don't expect Trump to win. Trump's not even, he's not even declared as a candidate then. In 2017, days before Trump comes in, Obama lifts the funding pause, but doesn't lift it immediately. He lifts it so that it, uh, the funding restarts in the fiscal year in September under Trump's time. So later uh, he says, uh, you know, Trump funded not it. Not me. Yeah, not me, right, not me. <laughs> <laughs> now, it was Trump, but it wasn't. It was Obama. He lit, he started funding it again. And Trump's, you know, was like, what, you know, I, I think he got its really bad information from people um, yeah. at the outset of that. And we'll talk about that another time. Yeah. Listen, the Substack is in the laptop, right? Midnight in the laptop of good and evil. And Mike McCormick is its author. Thank you so much for these revelations. Some of them are explosive, shocking. I shocking the the depth of the corruption. Yeah. It is just astonishing. Just amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Victoria. I look forward to our next chat. Thank Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple Podcast app every time you listen and give me a great review plus of course subscribe to the podcast it makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs and it makes us easier to find please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff yeah we're still there using the names victoria taft or the adult in the room podcast on MeWe, parlor minds facebook twitter and instagram thanks to one a cast for imaging editing and production the fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up.
heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, Mischief Managed.